The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl G., and I bring you greetings from the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California. I will be uh, one of your hosts, your primary hosts for today, but I have a, another fabulous co-host with me also today to uh, share in on this topic. Andre Howard, thank you so much for being on the line. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. And Andre is the VP on the Center of uh, Leadership. Mm-hmm. And he's a fabulous host. He and his team lead the conversation the third Wednesdays of each month. Is it the third or the fourth? Actually, the fourth Wednesday, fourth. right? Yes, the fourth Wednesday is correct. The fourth Wednesday of each month. So um, great. And so um, grateful again, Andre, and thank you for uh, for joining us today. Thank Another you. person who's not a stranger to Leadership Matters, and you've heard her frequently on the show, is Valerie Wright, CEO of Right Ideals. And Valerie is based in West Palm Beach, Florida? Yes. Okay, great. Valerie, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Dr. G. It's good to be here. Great. And um, I should say, Andre, you guys are based in Milwaukee, but I know you have presence across the nation through your umbrella of um, organizations that work with the Alliance for Strong um, Families and Communities. Right, correct. That's correct. In fact, yeah. the Operations is in Milwaukee, of course, and our headquarters, of course, are, is in D.C., uh, but we've got about 500 members across the country that we serve, obviously. Wonderful. Well, good to have, um, I say, both of you on the show to talk about this um, topic of leadership, equity, peace, and the African-American community. I'm going to give uh, each of you an opportunity to just maybe introduce yourself, and if you want to share any connection that you have, you know, to this topic, you feel free to do that as well. Valerie, why don't we start with you? Sure. I, as you said earlier, I'm the CEO of Bright Ideas Unlimited. Um, we provide leadership and organization development, consulting, working with largely nonprofits, but small businesses and other organizations. Um, including coaching and training uh, and other OD interventions. Um, This topic um, that's, you know, uh, when I saw it, it it touches your heart because we seem like we land here every other month now, like it's become a pattern. And I think it's, it's, it's more than just a relationship with the police, and that's, I'm glad to see that we're having the conversation from a different angle today um, because it's something we have to address as more than just the relationship between the police, but there are larger issues that have to be addressed in order to turn this around. 
Great. Well, again, thank you so much, Valerie, for joining this conversation today. And how about yourself, Andre? Any uh, thoughts you want to share about your organization and or your connection to this topic? Sure, Dr. White. Again, thanks for having me, um, obviously, with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities. And our real focus is really to uh, strengthen the capacities and the influence uh, of our national network uh, to really drive high-impact, high-performing organizations to truly make a difference and to be relevant uh, in the communities that they're serving. So our focus is really uh, around a couple areas that I think intersects very well with the uh, topic that we're going to discuss this afternoon. You know, we really try to decrease the number of people uh, living in poverty, uh, really focus on trying to make sure people are living in safe and healthy uh, communities and neighborhoods and have safe and healthy lives, and then really try to put more people into the pathways of success when it comes to education and employment. And recently, the Alliance adopted uh, uh, commitments that we think are very important for the nonprofit sector to uh, certainly embody, and one of those commitments relates to uh, advancing uh, equity. And so we're really focused on racial equity um, as part of this equation and really thinking about uh, how the nonprofit sector truly uh, can begin to think about the work that we do uh, within our neighborhoods and communities and really advancing racial equity, making sure people understand uh, the equity equation, uh, and making sure that we just kind of create an awareness and, more importantly, uh, an actionable um, plan that can be engaged in uh, at every level within neighborhoods and communities around uh, the the equity piece. So that's really my interest uh, in, in this topic as well. Okay, great. And I know, Andre, we have partnered um, on the Advance, which is an academy for advancing cultural competence, and have done several uh, workshops in this area. So I'm delighted to have yet another venue right. through which you and I can um, continue the conversation in advance this work. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yes. Great. So, as uh, Valerie, I think, you know, as you kind of indicated, once again, you know, America finds itself dealing with another tragic death and clash with our um, law enforcement that's involving an African-American citizen. You know, as you witness all that's unfolding uh, this week in Baltimore, what thoughts have crossed your mind regarding lessons that must be learned? And Valerie, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, I, I don't know that this is necessarily a lesson learned, but it should clearly be an indication that we're doing something that's not working. You know, um, we have nonprofits, we have programs, and yet these kind of relationships um, uh, in terms of inequity and injustice still linger to the point that they uh, boil over as we see in in Baltimore and in other cities, and um, I think one of the things that we know we have to act on and acknowledge the lessons that we've already learned that there is um, there are issues between law enforcement and the community, and that um, we have to find ways to proactively begin to build relationships and uh, change the conversation around why these relationships exist. Um, by by doing uh, intentional and targeted um, relationship building, it, it, not just in Baltimore. We know what happened in Baltimore has been brewing. If you've done any work in that area and if you've seen um, what uh, the community has experienced as they have in other cities, that that relationship cannot be 
uh, be allowed to continue in the way that it's going. There has to be real community building. And there, I think one of the lessons is there is a void in leadership. We have uh, elected officials, but leaders who are at the grassroots who can begin to address and change the issues, who can uh, work across racial lines, who can work across community lines to begin to bridge the concerns that citizens have um, and, and break down those walls of us and them and um, address those uh, long-term issues of trust uh, and perceptions that have been allowed to permeate and build up frustration so that when one incident happens, you get this overboiling of uh, frustration that turns into riots. And, you know, this is, this is not new in terms of these kinds of uh, activities on, on behalf of the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. This, this emerged historically um, where, and in particular, I looked at some data that, you know, African-American men and their treatment by law enforcement, but we've not done anything proactively. And I believe that there are some things you do with law enforcement, but there are also community issues. This happens in community where there's abject poverty or there are um, high dropout rates, particularly among African-American boys and um, where there's issues in the school where their relationship in the community is is profiled, um, and I think we have to begin to address those issues in a different way. Okay. Thank you, Valerie. I think you've said a lot there, and I think a lot of um, good things t- uh, for us to build on and explore a little um, more uh, during this hour and obviously beyond. Um, Andre, how about yourself? Any thoughts come to mind with regards to lessons we must begin to learn and, and live and um bring to the light in order to begin to move things forward. Yeah, I think, like Dr. Valerie, I mean, I think, uh, I'm not sure if there are lessons to be learned. I think there are plenty of lessons that, uh, you know, we've gleaned uh, and certainly have uh, been created in terms of things we know we have to do. I think now it's it's really about action, putting together an action mm-hmm. platform in terms of pursuing some meaningful pathways to address uh, some of these real deep-rooted issues that uh, we continue to be plagued with, uh, particularly in our African-American communities across this country. And so uh, if there's any lesson that really needs to be learned, it's taking what we've learned already and thinking about it in a more collaborative, collective way, uh, community to community, what we can do holistically to address some of uh, some of our, uh, our, our ill social ills and some of our uh, deep-rooted issues and problems that we continually face uh, in, our, in our communities, and so, you know, I think a couple of things that we certainly can consider in, a, in that process is to uh, think about how we continue to empower and engage our youth. I mean, our youth are at a point in time at the crossroads where they're making decisions, and, and sometimes they're not making the right decisions. And so, how do we, as leaders, how do we uh, continue to work with our youth? How do we talk about that uh, intergenerational connectedness that we need to probably invest more in, uh, where uh, old folks can learn from young folks, young folks can learn from old folks, but we're all in this together, uh, and we see each other as a partner uh, in this process. So I think, you know, certainly thinking about how we engage our youth at a higher level in a more meaningful way, I think, is key to 
to this as well. Um, you know, I, I hope we get to some conversation later on about the whole idea of protesting. I think protesting uh, is a powerful thing. It's an expression of our uh, individual right to do so. Uh, but I think, you know, in terms of understanding, you know, what it, does it mean to meaningfully protest uh, to achieve high impact? Uh, and, mm-hmm. and when do you start to cross the line about protesting and when does it become a riot? And, and, and this riot language that we've engaged in, you know, our, you know, thugs versus, you know, uh, peaceful demonstrators and those kinds of things. So I, I think anything else, you know, I think when there are injustices that uh, that happen, I think, you know, being able to certainly understand what's the right, most impactful, meaningful way to protest, because I think everyone has a right to do that. But again, how do you do that without crossing the line? And how do we stay away from some of this riotous language that we uh, are, are hearing in the news and, and across our media pathways in terms of what they're calling folks in terms of thugs and other kinds of names as well? Um, and I think the last piece I'll just throw out there, of course, is to certainly think about, again, uh, what are those underlying issues that continue to just uh, be the nerve pit for uh, our, uh, our black communities in terms of, you know, a lack of education, uh, lack of social economic opportunities to really uh, obtain, you know, uh, life supporting, life sustaining, meaningful wages. I mean, what are those things that keep slapping us in the face that we know we have to work on, you know? How do we work on those things? How do we create those opportunities? How do we begin to engage in a meaningful action uh, platform to really, truly address this? Who is to help us? I mean, I mean, Okay. And so, Andre, I'm hearing that I need to go to break, but I want to put a comma there sure. and want to come back to that because I think that um, you also have added some um, good threads for us to pull through um, in having this real important dialogue on leadership equity and um, peace in the African-American community. Please stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Today we're talking about uh, leadership as it relates to the um, challenges that we're looking at relative to equity peace um, in the African-American community. Uh, Valerie Wright from Right Ideals in West Palm Beach, Florida, the CEO, is with us. Again, Valerie, thank you for being on the line. Thank you for having me, Dr. G. Mm-hmm. And our co-host, Andre Howard, Vice President of the Center on Leadership with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities, is also on the line. Andre is based in um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I believe your organization is headquartered in D.C. Thank you, Andre. Okay. Andre, I know before we went to break, I kind of broke you mid-thought. I'm not even sure if you even remember where you were, but if you'd like to, I want to kind of create space for you to finish your response. No, no, I think, again, I think your question was a, a real good one, Dr. White, in terms of lessons learned. I think we know the lessons. I think now it's really time to promote a real meaningful uh, action plan in terms of how we address uh, some of these underlying issues and conditions that, uh, you know, really define black, uh, black community. And I know you want to define black community um, not geographically but on a more broader scale. And so um, I'd love to hear more about that from your perspective. But I think we just have to, again, think about uh, our processes as we, as we go through these events that happen to us every now, it's every two months, every three months, something's taking place. And so I think we just have to get to a point where we have to look at the deep-seated uh, uh, issues and really start to address those. And more than just talk, but uh, an action plan on a collective level uh, that really uh, could be very meaningful for all of us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I know. As I thank you, Andre. As I kind of uh, watch the news and. Um, you know, even think from my own um, perspective and hat, one might say, um, as a cultural psychologist, cultural psychologist, we really look at how does the environment impact the way a person thinks and behaves. And so it drives me to step back and think, you know, what is it that's happening in that environment that may be impacting the behavior and the thoughts of individuals that are um impacted in these communities. Obviously, we know what the trigger was in this case with regards to, um, you know, you know the, the negative um, impact and the death at law enforcement's hands of yet another African-American man. Um, we understand that. I think on a broader um, space, where it took me as I was reflecting was to Judy Salinger's work, uh, Judy has done a lot of work in the area of um, addiction. And although she looks at addiction from, you know, trying to help people engage in lasting recovery, she has some things in her book. It's called um, 
fearless change, embrace the choice to reinvent your life that I find just um, very um, enlightening when it comes to just understanding the potential impact that the communities that these individuals live in may be really having on their lives. Judy looks at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and she talks about our having basic survival needs and then also needs required for growth. And um, some of those basic needs required for growth, self-esteem, being esteemed to others, being understood, having the potential and what you need to be able to self-actualize and feeling that sense of self-respect and mastery, all those things that we know are related to uh, very often in our society, having a good education, having a good job, having some economic means to kind of make your way um, in our society. And then when we look at the basic survivals, those things uh, relative to just physical needs being met uh, for sleep and rest and food and um, you know, safety from harm and feeling a sense of routine, of fairness and stability and security, uh, feeling a sense of uh, belonging to the community and to others, all those basic survival needs without even looking at the growth needs. We know when we look at our impoverished areas that these needs are not being met either. And then we know that in these, in fact, under stepping back to what you're talking about with regards to the African-American community, when we look at the African-American community and as we speak about it today, I did want our listeners to be aware that we're not talking about one geographical area, but really about persons who self-identify as being members of the black race and of African descent. Um, so we know that um, there are some common life experiences regardless of the geographical area, area that one lives in. And what unites uh, many of us are the generational, the historical stories, the experiences, the daily experiences still that one might encounter that's related to racism and um, being treated with something lacking uh, dignity and respect and not having perhaps a sense of security because of some of those things that, that crop up. And if one doesn't have security on their job, one can find themselves also in a space, you know, fighting for survival. We also recognize that those who have a higher opportunity for socioeconomic um, freedom, um, they have privilege that those who are living in areas that are impoverished don't have. And so um, all that being said, going back to Judy's work, Judy talks about how when people fear that their basic survival needs or their growth needs are not going to be met, it takes them off the trust path and puts them on the fear path. On the trust path, one can accept that they have needs, they can express their needs assertively and cooperate with others in a give-and-take negotiation, hearing their voice, hearing others to create solutions and live out the vision of accomplishing what needs to be accomplished to get their needs met, to achieve their visions, um, and those are their needs as relates to survival and growth. But when there is fear that those needs aren't going to be met and they're on this fear path, what I find strikingly um, vivid 
is the parallel life that we see as relates to playing out on TV. You can, um, Judy's path of fear has when we fear that needs aren't going to be met, we can sometimes deny we have a need or resist it. We can become very passive in our voice uh, and not talk about it or aggressive. If I turn all this anxiety inward, I might isolate myself and deny the need and turn to addiction. If I turn it outward, I can begin to blame others, kind of transfer responsibility, um, become defensive and manipulate. Over a period of time, I'm still not getting that need met and the fear grows. I can feel a sense of helplessness and stress turn inward. It looks like illness, depression, suicide, and even death. Turn outward, we can see violence and aggression and even rage. And so when I look at just the state that many of these communities where we've seen the um, eruption take place with regards to rage, as Valerie indicated, I think there's a brewing that's happening always, and it's are we dealing with the brewing so that there's a greater capacity to even deal with what that trigger has been with regards to the ill um, challenges related to the relationship and what's viewed as um, ill treatment of African Americans by the law enforcement community. So I know that's a lot to say and don't know that I intended to say it all um, in that way, but wanted to put Judy's work out there um, around addiction because it so overlays nicely with, unfortunately, what we see in our African-American community as relates to the struggle to get basic survival needs met and a platform for also being able to have people positioned to become their, their best, to really have their growth needs met. Um, Valerie, Andre, any thoughts in relation to what I just shared or anything else that's kind of come up? pop into your mind on on this topic. Uh, Dr. White, I think you, I mean, yeah, I think you, you covered it all. I mean, I think just to add to some of what you talked about, in particularly terms of the, uh, uh, of the rage, I mean, uh, again, uh, there are a lot of elements, again, that, that really adds up to, uh, to why uh, the black community is certainly enraged. And, and there's a good reason to be, right? I think there are real reasons to be uh, upset, to, to certainly be, uh, to feel uh, a gross negligence by others uh, when it comes to engaging uh, the black community. Uh, I think there are uh, certainly a number of reasons why that certainly takes place. But, you know, you know, when you think about some of these factors, like, you know, you, take, you, know, you think about um, uh, the economic and employment uh, stance of, of African Americans, and I know the, um, the uh, National Urban League does a great report, uh, annual report in terms of, of uh, the state of black America. Uh, you know, they talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the underemployment rate for African American workers being at 20.5% compared to 11.8% uh, for white workers. And so, you know, when you think about that, uh, even just uh, barely trying to put food on the table is becoming uh, a challenge and a task, task force of the black community to do so in terms of trying to make some sense of this. And so, uh, again, we are felt 
at the end of it, uh, almost at the end of our rope. And, and, and there's a certain sense of desperateness there, uh, of despair, of hopelessness even, that I think just adds to all of what, um, you know, we've experienced and what we've seen in our communities across uh, these last few years, uh, particularly with uh, uh, African-American males and, and, for example, in the police department. And so I think that all that adds to, to that, along with a number of other things, but I think just a clear case, if I don't have economics to even bring home enough dollars to put food on the table to feed my family, to keep the lights on, to keep a, a, a roof over my head, you know, um, everything else really uh, becomes secondary. And, and, and to some degree, I do feel hopelessness and, and a sense of despair. And, and where do I go to express this? And how do I deal with this? And all these other derivatives that come into to the picture in terms of uh, law enforcement and, and other kinds of things just adds to that rage and to that, uh, that uh, desperateness to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, there two things. I want to just <clears throat> excuse me, kind of bifurcate the law enforcement piece and then all of the others because we know they're connected. But I think there is a huge issue with law enforcement that has to be addressed. That is both institutional and practice in terms of those. Um, law enforcement units across the nation, and that has to be looked at because there is this culture, this um, relationship where there, um, the law enforcement has and continue to uh, practice oppressive behaviors in those communities, and it has, in some instances, nothing to do with all of the other issues we talk about, for instance, my nephews and their friends who are college students have been stopped and harassed by law enforcement because they're driving in a car. So we know that exists, and that, and I say that to say that is an issue that we have to absolutely look at and target why that institution that is supposed to, to protect and serve and have relationship with community has in some way turned on African-American boys and uh, minorities and that why those relationships are so oppressive. In right. so let, they- me, uh, pa- let me pause you there, Valerie, because like, we have to um, go to break. But don't lose your thought. And we're going to be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Where is the best place to put your money? 
Rick Saylor with co-host Eric Hamburg will take the mystery out of investing in order to keep your hard-earned wealth performing and protecting to its maximum potential. Listen for Straight Talk, Clear Decisions, live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Rick Saylor, smooth financial sailing for the best part of your life. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back with more on Leadership Matters. Today we're talking about leadership, equity, peace in the African-American community. Uh, Valerie and uh, Andre, thank you so much for being on the line. I know Troy Bell has also joined us. Troy, can I get you to just maybe give us your, um, you know, what you do, connection to this topic, and then Valerie, I'm going to turn it right back over to you after Troy does a little intro so we can have you pick up with where you left off before we went to break. So welcome, Troy. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So you. Uh, you wanted a, lo- a little bit about my background. Uh, yeah, if you could share with us. I don't know if you want, if there's an affiliation you want to share with us, and then also just your connection to this topic sure. of leadership equity um, and the African American community. Okay, I serve as the vice president and intendant for development of one of the few uh, national minority-run, minority-operated charter school companies called Lighthouse Academy. Uh, based out of Tampa, Florida. We have uh, schools in seven states. We serve about 7,000 students in 18 schools. Um, I feel uh, very much connected to this topic, not only because of the role that I serve in uh, currently, but uh, based on my past history as a former police officer and uh, a trailblazer and many uh, civil rights issues, community organizing, and having served as an assistant city manager and deputy mayor in a few different cities across the country. Great. So um, I'm going to ask you, Troy, to think about, Valerie, I'm going to have you finish your thoughts, but Troy, I'm going to ask you to to think about maybe just sharing your perspective from uh, law enforcement and then also civil rights perspective uh, in a moment. Valerie, let's get you back in to kind of just have the opportunity to finish your thoughts. Sure. So I was talking talking about how the community, how the police, policing community, how they serve in community, um, that has to be addressed. And then I, I, the, the uh, bridge in that between what we, what, what we're talking about in terms of what the community can do is when we tend to look at, and we talked about it kind of, um, implicitly, so I want to say it explicitly, in terms of the profile of the communities where this is more likely to happen, and it's those communities, Andre, you kind of call these things out, where the educational level, either there's 
a high level of illiteracy, the unemployment rate is high, there tends to be a, a higher rate of arrest among uh, teens 18 to 24, higher level of imprisonment in terms of people who've been in and out of prison. Of course, housing is an issue. So it's those type of communities. I think that somehow, and, and, and I don't have the answer, but somehow gives law enforcement the uh, perspective that it's okay to do uh, these behaviors in these type of communities. And I think that's where we have to begin. Not that that's the only communities, but when we look at what has happened across the country and that has enraged all of us, I think, to some degree, when we look at these behaviors, um, how do we begin to address uh, and change these conditions uh, and give people voice? And I, I started out saying earlier, I think there's a void in leadership. Not that leadership doesn't exist, but Leadership can't be one or two people, the persons that serve on the city council or the one or two pastors that we all look up to. But there has to be a collective group of leaders who are working across all of the communities to speak to these issues, and not just these issues, but the, the things that give rise to these conditions. Um, I, I think about, as a backdrop, the story about Bigger Thomas and his whole, and, and, and what led to him, the, the fact that he was felt isolated and invisible to the rest of the world, nobody ever suspected him in that story, um, you know, of being the one who would have killed the person. But um, when you isolate people, you, you, you create a, a sense of uh, internal rage and frustration, as we talked about earlier, and you don't know what's going to ball over and what behavior will come out of that. Okay, uh, great. Uh, I think that's a good space, uh, Valerie, for um, Troy to drop it, jump in and maybe even talk about some of the things that Valerie just laid a good foundation to speak on relative to law enforcement and then just your own uh, voice on this topic, Troy. Thank you, Valerie. Sure. I, I think Valerie makes some very good points. Uh, the question of the mindset of police officers as they are in the community and they're policing in the community is, uh, is a significant area that we need to focus on and what creates that mindset and then what affects that mindset. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation in, in the media around whether police officers are good police officers or the majority of them are good or some are bad and that they're not all bad. But I think it's safe to say that the majority of people that are in police work are good people. The problem is that they're in bad systems. The system mm -hmm. of law enforcement in this country is broken, and it's something that we do not pay enough attention to in order to mandate that it be fixed. It's mm -hmm. the leadership, it's the structure, and it's in the, the environment in which these officers are asked to act with limited resources, with limited training. And that, in no way, don't get me wrong, in, in no way excuses uh, inappropriate behavior. But it is important to understand that because, understand where it's coming from, because if we want to fix it, we need to understand where it's coming from. Uh, okay. Most of us in our jobs will conduct ourselves within the limits of what we can and cannot do 
and some people would refer to that within the limits of what we can get away with and what we can't get away with. If you work in an environment where it's okay to come in 20 minutes late, you will come in 20 minutes late if you need to. But if you work in an environment that does not accept you coming in 20 minutes late, either you come in on time or you lose your job. Police officers work in a similar construct except it's in our communities interacting with our, our, our members of our community. And that construct is, if I do this, will I get in trouble? If I, if I do that, will I not get in trouble? And so uh, I say that to bring up the point that when you're policing in a community and you stop somebody who is affluent, Police officers will guard what they do because there is the possibility that this person may have a connection or a relationship that will come back to haunt them if they do the wrong thing. But if they stop somebody who they think is marginal, they will do what they do without concern or without as much concern for what they do because they don't believe that this situation can necessarily come back to haunt them. And so when you take that and overlay that uh, on the issues of class and race, what does that mean? Typically, when I stop somebody who is Caucasian, there's a chance that that person might know the mayor, might be related to um, uh, somebody of authority, and so I'm going to watch what I do very carefully. When I stop somebody who is poor or who is minority, they are less likely to have those connections or those relationships. So... I'm more inclined to be a little more loose with the way that I handle things than if I think that I might get in trouble. And that's just the reality of it. And that reality affects not only white officers, but it also affects black officers that are in that environment. So that's one aspect of what we have to consider when we look at how we can fix the way that officers are policing in our environment. And, and one other thing that I would throw out there and uh, pause to get... Uh, um, Valerie's thoughts is we often don't realize, and this is something that surprised me, that majority of law enforcement officers only have to have a high school education in order to enter the force. Does that mean that they're not intelligent people? No. What it means is, by and large, they have not been exposed to a broader or wider environment because that requirement is not there to force them to go through the environment that is created by a college, community college setting. And so it's, it was ironic to me when I became a police officer that we have this expectation that, say, an FBI agent is a college-graduated person. And in my lifetime, I've run into maybe one FBI agent in my lifetime. But in my lifetime, I've run into several police officers as, a, as an African-American man who was often stopped because of the color of my skin even when I was a police officer, but yet the expectation of their education level is lower than people that we don't even see on a, uh-huh. on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Good. Andre and um, Valerie, I'll invite either of you to add to, uh, respond, um, just put your thoughts out there relative to what Troy has stated or other things that may be on your mind. Yeah, I, I think it go. one of the things I would add <clears throat> when you talked about earlier, the whole idea of the hierarchy of needs and um, this whole process, power is an issue uh, in this relationship. And that, you know, when Troy talked about the the system itself, when you give people uh, uh, what is the absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
when you're dealing with people who uh, have the authority uh, to enforce laws without, if they're walking on that street, it's them and whoever they suspect, whoever they want to address, they have unchecked power in that moment. And um, as Troy was saying, how do you teach people to manage their power, how to use, not to overuse, not to abuse that power, because we can do all we want on the other side, but if the individuals, if you have a culture that you have power and you should use that power any way you choose, then that's an issue. And if you are talking about justice, when one side has all the power, it's going to be very difficult to get justice if that power is un unchecked. And I think uh, I mentioned earlier the institutional structures, the institutional practices have to be dismantled and rearranged. We have to do so. And we know racism is an institution. And, and, and it's institutional, I'm sorry. And that until we can dismantle it from within and reconstruct it, we're going to deal with these issues. And I think that's a bigger issue, but it's one that has to be addressed because until you get at the core and uh, address those issues, the other stuff you do really won't change that. It'll be good and it'll be better for the community if we can, can deal with the ills, but... Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to um, actually have to go to break, but Andre, I know that we have you sitting there um, probably thinking and thinking and thinking. I want to hear from your voice, your thoughts. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, 
Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back on Leadership Matters uh, today, just really having some conversation around African-American community, equity, peace, and just, you know, what might be some potential solutions for supporting movement uh, in a forward direction. Andre, your thoughts? Yeah, I just I think the conversation has been wonderful. The only thing I will add to it is a practicality element in terms of thinking what we can do as leaders. I think, uh, again, leaders from across the, the spectrum, whether it's uh, from the nonprofit sector, churches, or our corporate sector, whether I think we just need to think about you know some of the practical things we can do. And the only uh, a couple things that come to mind as uh, Troy and Valerie were talking. Uh, came to mind for me was to certainly let's do some simple things like again let's demand those cameras right those cameras that police officers should Uh have so it can protect our community and, and protect the law enforcement um, uh, piece as well. Uh, and then the other piece is ensuring that there's uh, some racial equity in terms of the police force, that it certainly resembles the communities that are being served, uh, which I think could also uh, give some rise and, and also f- uh, help us think about how we start to deal with some of these issues we've been uh, battling with over these last uh, few years in terms of uh, over-abuse of uh, uh, powers and those kinds of things. So I just wanted to just throw at least for us to think about as uh, from the leader's perspective just some practical things that we should be standing up and demanding uh, at this present moment. And those are just two ideas that just came off the top, I think. Great. Uh, thank you, Andre, for those practical solutions, uh, kind of offering that voice and thought. Um, Valerie and Troy, I want to give you an opportunity also just to share a final thought. Uh, Valerie, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, I think that um, I would add to that in terms of some of the things we can do, and and I think that it's important that we begin to address the policies that govern how officers are treated after such an incident um, in terms of how, um, for instance, in Baltimore, they didn't have to tell their side of the story because they have rights. Well, in order to investigate, that information needs to be shared. So some policy changes around what happens. We have a couple of the officers have had several incidents of uh, excessive force. How are we treating those incidents when they happen, and why is he back in that community or back on the force? What's being done? So things that I don't necessarily know the answer to but think they need to be looked into in terms of how do you get justice for the community and reshape and revamp um, the police department. Um, I think that the other is we have to find a more, and it, this may sound a little Pollyannish, but I think that the, the there has to be a more um, intentional relationship building between the police force and community residents. And I know in um, they some communities have police. Uh, community police stations, substations, and they're engaged with communities. We have to ensure that, especially in communities where there's this volatility, that those 
uh, officers are a part of the community more than just going in to police it, but that they are a part of the citizenship. They are part of people know them more than um, patrolling the community. So I think, um, as Andres said, I think leaders have to come together and begin to collaborate on how to bridge this at the local level as well as nationally have um, more town halls or some um, targeted conversation about ways to improve this because we can't continue to do this. Um, we'll have torn up communities all over the country. Right. Thank you, uh, Valerie. And how about for yourself, Troy, final thoughts? Sure. And I, I go back to the notion of um, the need to uh, dismantle and reconstruct police departments, which I think is, is, is absolutely necessary. I think that um, we have to look at um, giving the leadership uh, with the right leadership, the mandate to be able to make the changes that need to be changed. There is so much inertia built into law enforcement agencies. The minute you begin to question an element or an aspect of a law enforcement agency, people begin to look at you as if you are trying to undermine the system that protects them. And so it's difficult to come into a situation like that as a leader and make the necessary changes when you are dealing with, quote-unquote, the sacred cow. So the community needs to select the right leaders and provide the right mandate, the significant mandate, to be able to make the changes that need to be made. And I go back to the core of the issue. How, what are the types of people that we select to be police officers, and how do we change, and how do we train those people appropriately to act um, and use the discretion that they have with that ultimate power appropriately in the community. And yeah. again, I bring up uh, that issue about uh, college education um, to say that, that even though that's not a guaranteed filter, but it is one aspect that uh, affects um, an officer's ability to make choices. When you come in to a, a position that is the only position that you're qualified to do, and you have no options. You begin to get create a situation where you're there because you have to be there and not there because you choose to be there. And there are very few jobs that you can go into with a high school education and make $100,000 a year. But once you make that $100,000 a year, can you go anywhere else and do that without options? So yeah, to, go, to, to look at those core issues, I think, is important Great. in, in addition to all the other elements. Yes, I think each of you brought up some really good, um, important issues and concerns and uh, things that can be addressed as pieces to this puzzle. I also want to echo back with regards to just ensuring that as we're looking at the action plan that's going to help support America communities in moving forward, that we not have, as Valerie mentioned earlier, these hotbeds brewing of rage where we come up with action plans that really addresses helping people be positioned so that they can have their basic survival needs met and that they can have their needs for growth met. So that means that we are developing communities where people are receiving the education that they need and opportunities for employment. And um, that uh, then hopefully positioning um, them to be able to negotiate achieving positive visions in their life. And um, 
as each of you have also spoken about, just the importance of not only um, being treated with dignity and respect, but having people be able to, to feel as if they are... Um, they are themselves, they do have that self-respect by other needs um, being met so that when um, these horrible things happen, um, there's a greater capacity for us to be able to do what Andre, I know you mentioned and we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but how do we actually protest in a very meaningful way? I think that what probably gets in the... Um, maybe in the way of being able to do that is the brewing of all these other things and the rage um, can sometimes explode uh, in ways that um, doesn't necessarily allow for meaningful discourse and meaningful protest to take place. So I think that's another conversation that certainly we want to uh, to have. But Valerie and Andre and... Um, Troy, thank you to each of you for being with us today, and thank you to our listening audience. We invite you to tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and also call in and email in your thoughts and concerns to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Leadership Matters.